Greetings, and welcome to Montessori in Action, a podcast for Montessori educators to remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host, Elizabeth Slade, and let's spend some time listening to what is in the hearts and on the minds of other Montessorians. Our guests today are three Montessori educators working in three to six classrooms in public Montessori schools. They are from three different schools in three different states and had not met or spoken prior to the conversation you're about to hear. The topic for discussion is how young children are re-entering school this year following the disruptions of the pandemic and what these three educators are doing to support them. Kiana Artis is a lead guide at Moore Montessori Community School in Southern Pines, North Carolina, a charter school that opened its doors in 2018, with Kiana as one of the founding members of the school. Kenitria Doolin is a lead guide at Lake Ridge Elementary School, a district school in Cedar Hills, Texas, that she was instrumental in starting. And Nora O'Brien is the lead guide at Oscar Mayer Montessori School, a district school in Chicago Public Schools in Illinois, and she was also there at the forefront in the beginning of that program. So welcome to our guests, Kiana, Kenitria, and Nora. So a highlight from my day was with one of the preschool-aged children who did not want to do table washing whatsoever. But through conversation and calm down, they finally took out the work and the the child was working at a table right behind the lesson that I was giving. And it got really quiet for a moment. So I looked behind me and the child was happily scrubbing the table. And I was overjoyed that at least for the 30 seconds, there was moments of concentration and focus with getting the table as clean as possible. So welcome to the Montessori in Action podcast. It's wonderful to have you all here together. Thanks, Elizabeth. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. Nice. So since you are just meeting each other for the first time in order to record this podcast, um, I was hoping we could open the conversation by having you introduce yourselves to each other and to our listeners. Um, And Kiana, will you start? Sure. My name is Kiana Artis. I live and work in the Southern Pines, North Carolina area at Moore Montessori Community School. I'm the primary guide and curriculum chair there um, and have been with the school since its founding year about four years ago. Nora, tell me about yourself. Well, um, I teach at a Chicago public school, um, Montessori. I have been at this school for 14 years. The program is 15 years old, so I was there from the beginning, more or less. Um, And prior to that, I taught Montessori um, for 10 years um, plus in the Chicago area, also Atlanta and San Diego. So it's been a long Mm -hmm. journey, and um, I'm also a Montessori child, starting in parent-infant. So it's kind of always been part of my life, so it's really been fun to be now part of public Montessori, which is, um, I think, very important and valuable. So I'm happy to be here. Um, Kenitria, do you want to share a little bit about yourself? 
Absolutely. My name is Kenitria. I'm a primary Montessori guide in Cedar Hill. Um, this is my third year as a Montessori guide. I have over 10 years of experience with working with small children. Um, and I'm currently, I guess, getting ready to graduate with my master's from in urban education from SMU University. Wonderful. Thank you, all three of you, for being here and sharing a little bit about your experience. Our topic of the conversation today um, is about the experience of working in a three to six public Montessori program, welcoming children every day who have been impacted by the COVID pandemic and wanting to kick the conversation off by asking, what are you noticing about that? And how does that make this year different from other years you've taught? Good question. So um, last year, the Chicago Public Schools started the school year remote and we stayed remote all the way until the end of the middle of February. We came back into the building. And interesting, our, our class size was really small last year. We had very few um, pre-K students because parents really felt like it was going to be hard if our program was remote. So our pre-K enrollment, like in the three to six classroom, was down. And we had a lot of kindergartners, but not a lot of pre-K students. We had 88 students registered, and we had 16 report for school at the start of the remote school year. And so now this school year, we are back in person. Um, but really, at Meyer, since our program's pretty well established, we've had the we've been able to have we've had attrition where we have our younger students become our kindergartners. And so um, we don't have that this year. So that's something starting off this school year. I have a room of 25 kids and pretty much they're all brand new. So it's having like a brand new class of students to Montessori. So that's been um, one of the most unique parts of the school year compared to any other Mm -hmm. year at Oscar Mayer for me. Um, just having new kids who mm-hmm. are, they don't have a shared history of being in a community together or being in the Montessori environment. So, um, so it's, a, it's a new starting place, pandemic and students that are new to our program. Right. Is that true for the two of you as well, that all you have a new group? Yes, um, for the most part, I do have a new group. Last year, um, we were in person, but it was an adjusted alternating schedule. And for the primary environments in particular, um, there were all kindergarten age groups. And then there was one primary guide who had just the pre-K three, pre-K four children. And um, for their work cycle, they would be predominantly outside. They, so they had an outdoor working space and they took Montessori materials out there for their lessons. Um, with that, I noticed that there was a lot of social need, but also the enforcement of us having to maintain safety. So the the social distancing was in place and they got adjusted to that when I had um, just kindergarten age children. I think I had about 10. I would have about 10 in the mornings and then a different group um, of 10 children in the afternoons. And so they had become accustomed to the social distancing spacing. um, And we had that 
plan up until about spring break of last year, and then they were able to transition into full day. Um, that was a, a bit of an adjustment as well, um, because they had been accustomed to leaving at a certain time or arriving at a certain time prior to that. Um, but what was nice is um, with them being able to be a little bit closer together in the classroom and developing like partnerships and collaborating with others, they developed friendships and they had a little bit more of that social um, need met because they could work um, harmoniously together. So this year, I also have a, practically a brand new children in my space. Um, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. 25 children in the mornings at our school. The preschoolers leave before lunch, so they have half day. Um, and the social need is still there. And with the kindergarten children, um, they absolutely love the partnerships or the the small groups that they can foster and practice different activities together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what are you all noticing as some of the components of this year that make this year unique? You've shared sort of the unique grouping that you have. Um, and Kiana, you started talking a little bit about the social need of the older children to connect with each other. What else are you aware of, Nora? I agree on that social need part for sure. Um, they, uh, they, 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 I feel like that is something that I kind of tried to step back and allow at the beginning and I like observe to be like, who are these children and what do they need? Since I didn't really know them and I didn't really know their personalities. Um, but I, I feel that um, there what there's things that I think they need. <laughs> And then there's things that they're showing me they need. So that social component is definitely something they're showing me they need. Um, they also, though, they're all coming. They, they were their parents. A lot of them. Some people kept their kids home. Some people just put their kids in a daycare that they normally wouldn't have chosen because they needed that care because the parents were working from home. So the, they all have such a different experience that they're walking through the door with. And it's really, for me, like getting to know them and honoring that experience. Like you've had an experience before you came in here and it isn't just, you don't know Montessori. Like you've had, you've done some learning and you've, you've had these experiences, COVID being the kind of like the catalyst that drove many of their experiences, but they're, they're, um, what they need, like where they are academically, like when at the beginning of the year, when we, you know, you kind of do like your, your assessments at the beginning of the year, they're in so many different places. And it's interesting because (laughs) I'm just not, I haven't had as many kids who are basically like, I guess they're, they are meeting where a kindergartner might be at the beginning of the year, but they are, um, I guess because they don't have that history with me, like I'm still getting to know like how they learn these things, what their true understanding is. And so watching them interact with the environment for me has been really fascinating because some of it's had me kind of having to let go a little bit and just let some things happen in our space that wouldn't normally happen because I would have so many kids that have been with me before. And so you're having all these kids that are new to everything and just like kind of seeing like, well, let's see what happens when they interact with this material. Like, what are they trying to do with it? You know? Um, and so those are the observations that I feel like I'm always making, but this year in a different way, but also getting to know 25 kids who are new in this space. So that's, it's all of that. It's just, there's so many things different about it. 
don't know if anyone else is experiencing anything similar. Yes, I've noticed in particular that the four-year-olds in my classroom are having, seem to be having a harder time than the rest. And I think that it may be because whenever the pandemic first began, they were two. And we all know that um, around two years old is when they develop a lot of their social, a lot of the social skills and um, things that are necessary to, to function as a I guess the social person in society um, are really beginning to develop. And I know, because I'm a parent, I know that um, 2020 was very, very stressful. And I, I mean, I know that it was very, very stressful for parents. And I can say that, you know, I was guilty of, you know, setting my children down and allowing them to watch um, technology while I processed what was going on around them. So I am thinking that the four-year-olds... Um, you know, kind of suffered from this mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting that you bring up your four-year-olds. Half their life was in a pandemic, right? Um, so imagine if half of our lives were in a pandemic, what kind of impression that would have upon us. And when we think about the developmental, the absorbent mind, um, yeah, seeing a child um, walking down the street and um, turning to their parents and saying, no masks, like scared, like these people are not wearing masks, this isn't safe, right? Because their main impression is that's the normal way that we are in the world. And so, yeah, thinking about all of that unlearning around that and relearning some of the things you're talking about, about how to be with other people, how to resolve conflicts. How are conflicts going in general in uh, in your classrooms? Are you, are Kiana and you, are you noticing that too, that children haven't yet figured out how to resolve simple things? Yes. And I, I think the mask wearing, when, Kanisha, when you mentioned the pre-K-4, it brought to the forefront of my mind, some of the ones that are trying to process and understand the social interactions without having the facial expressions visible to someone else. And so you're basically relying on eye contact and maybe some eyebrow expression. And I've realized with myself that I had to be like overly dramatic with what I'm showing through what's visible beyond the mask in order to make that um, known or aware to the pre-K-4 children especially. Yeah, I feel like they, they've they done a great job. It's just like, well, like you said, like these four-year-olds, they don't know any different. And so like even if they were in a, a school or a daycare setting, they were wearing their masks last year too, and they just they just do it. And that same thing, I feel like usually this time of year, the beginning of the year, I'm always doing like little small small group lessons that kind of like role modeling the taking turns, role modeling like you know, introducing like, oh, that's cooperation. Like, you know, but I feel like we're still doing that where usually in the before times we would have, I wouldn't need to be doing that as much. I mean, I'd still do some lessons with maybe a group for specific, you know, materials, but I feel like I'm still role modeling with them because they want that social interaction so much. But like you said, some of them, they've all had varied experiences, whether it's been limited or non-existent or just like in a setting with different expectations from our classroom. So um, it's, that's really been a big part of just role modeling these interactions and then making like sure that I notice or observe like, oh, I saw 
Skylar and Laya cooperate today, you know, and just kind of pointing out like what that is. And then I had to say my peace rose is, is tattered. Today it fell apart. Um, they've been using that peace rose. They want to be able to communicate <laughs> and talk about their problems. Um, so uh, they need that. They need that. I think it's a bigger, they need it every year, but I feel like this year it's a bigger part of the school year than it's ever been. I don't know if you guys are like seeing some of the, having some of those same experiences. You know, it's interesting that you were mentioning, Nora, that um, the need to repeat much more this year than other years. And when you think about it in the context of this, our four or five-year-olds have had an opportunity to see this over two years or three years, right? Because it's been repeated that many times. So when we think about this is the first year that all 25 of those are getting this, think of how many times you will have to do that for them to have three years worth of it <laughs> before they leave you, right? So, I mean, in some ways, I saw on the board in a classroom today, it said, patience, it's a noun, and the meaning is not getting aggravated while you're waiting or something like that. Anyway, I just thought, okay, so that's maybe what the adults need to do is bring in this new mindset of patience that what I would normally do, this grace and courtesy, like three times or five times, I now need to do it, you know, three years worth. So five, if I did it five times, I need to do it 15 times, right? And if I did it 10 times a year, I need to do it 30 times. Like what's the math equation for the post-COVID catch-up that we need to do? Kiana, you're chuckling. What are you thinking? I, it's nice to have reference points. And when you put it in a in perspective like that as a, a math equation, essentially, that makes sense. And when you have a room with brand new children and you're calling towards the the year three to be some many leaders in your classroom, they've got a lot of catching up to do, essentially, or the lots of practice that they need with that so that they can model for the younger ones as well. Yeah, and you mentioned that leadership thing. Um, we don't have that. Like, I don't have anybody who was with me last year that has now in this leadership role. role. And so um, it's trying to figure out, like, who who I can defer to, you know, like who, who are some of my like role models? Not that they don't all have that pot, that potential, but you know, it's, um, I, I'm still getting to know their strengths. I'm still getting to know what I, what they can, what I, they can do and the, what they're ready for. Um, so that's, um, that's another very different component to this school year. Mm -hmm. yeah. and, and Nora, I've had to frame that as challenges amongst the kindergarten age children. It's like, okay, I have a challenge for you. I wonder if there's someone in the group that can show us their best walking feet when they go and retrieve their work from the shelf. And then we all go look and they're being really deliberate and careful about how they move across to pick up whatever activity it is they've been they've chosen for the day. Or if someone I modeling inside voices and and I, I looked over during one work cycle. I was like, wow, I, I forgot that I need to review. The work goes back on the shelf in the same place we got it from. So let's do an overdramatic <laughs> challenge to figure out how we can get it back to the, to the, back to the original spot for the next person. And so chat, framing it as challenges has helped a lot. Yeah. Um, my assistant today was leading a lesson. Um, and when we were talking about... Um, like facial expressions, we were talking about recognizing someone's feelings or emotions, but with a mask on. 
And right before she started the lesson, she asked me if she needed to review like some of like our, just like some of the, before we do these lessons, like the skills. And I was like, oh, every time. We need to review them every time. We cannot take for granted that these are established just yet. I mean, and I would, I'm in the habit of doing it all year long kind of anyway, because I've been doing this for so long that I, I naturally review things. But I was like, oh, we need to review. And it's good for them because they want to feel like experts. So if you give them that opportunity to feel like an expert, because so many things are still so new to them. You know, there's still things on the shelf that nobody has touched yet this year. You know, so like so many things are new um, that to... Uh, you know, give them those opportunities to show what they can do. Like what you're saying, like, oh, who can use their best feet? They're all like, oh my gosh, I can do it. <laughs> so you guys are winding this conversation beautifully into my next question, which is to um, really be sharing what are some of the things that you have been doing to support children with this transition back into full Montessori school days and multi-age grouping um, with the challenges in mind. Um, Kenitri, what's coming up for you? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. So, um, you know, because I felt that the children have needed to connect um, and kind of needed a sense of purpose, I have, you know, I have come up with several different projects for them to kind of focus on. This summer, I've I partnered with a nonprofit called Bridges Safe House, and we decided, or and I decided, um, that my class could help. So the whole idea behind this nonprofit is, um, you know, for them to help. They help mothers who are in need, and so during our in our practical life work, our children are working to make blankets to give to the babies of the mothers in need, and so I feel like that's really connected them to the world around them, you know, because we got to explain, you know, why mothers may be in need due to COVID and, um, you know, due to dip, limited resources. So that has really, you know, helped um, the children in the class to be, you know, really more interested because, you know, a lot of times I feel like we don't, we don't share with children what is really happening. And I feel like they really want to know. So that's what I've done. And I feel like it's really working. Nice. Nice. How about for you, Kiana? Lots of challenges. They look forward to the challenges, as I had mentioned earlier. It's one way to kind of um, remind us how we are when we're in the classroom together. And for some of the lessons that they've mastered at this point, I would give them special permission to give a, a friend a lesson as long as they're ready for it. So they know to come over to me and they ask, okay, I this person really wants a lesson. Can I give a lesson on Spindlebox to this person? And when they have my permission, they know um, that they can go over. And it's nice to observe that lesson happening and to hear them reviewing the dialogue that they've heard me say um, to kind of help not only for them, I guess, to, to understand that, oh, I can also get help and feedback from a friend in a way that's appropriate in our classroom and can still keep you on task. I love that you said that because I've just been like letting, like allowing, like giving myself permission to do that more. Um, and so this week, it's taken a while for us to like really get the golden beads going in our room. Cause again, there's no history. No one was doing the intro tray when they were three, you know, no one, no one was watching a kindergartner do the 45 layout. Like we don't have that. And so, um, one of my kindergartners, he's, um, 
he, he just has a very strong sense of order. So he's been like, he's figured out this shelf and that there's a sequence and he wants to do what's next. And he knows Miss Nora wants him to practice it. And I was showing the nine tray to um, two other students who hadn't seen it before. And he was like, can I, can I watch? And then my assistant stepped out of the room and I, I needed to kind of put out a fire somewhere else in the room. So I said, oh, can you, can you sit where I'm sitting and can you help count the golden beads? And he just like sat up taller and it, I stepped away and it was beautiful. I took a picture of it. He didn't, they didn't see me. They were all so absorbed. And we were getting really close to having to transition to lunch. And when my assistant came back in, I'm like, we can't turn on the music. We have to let this finish. We can't let them, like, <laughs> they can't save it and come back to tomorrow. We can't save this moment. And I had to, like, let that moment happen, even though it kind of put us in, like, a scramble for, like, doing our lunch setup. But I was just like, we have to let this moment happen. And he just sat up that much taller. And he looked at me like, I get to show this? I was like, yes, I know that you know the next steps and I'm going to go help someone over there and I'll come back. He's like, all right. It was beautiful. It was beautiful to watch because it, for me also was a letting go for me because I feel like maybe as much as I've been trying to observe some like micromanaging tendencies I have are like, I feel sometimes I'm clenching because they're all in this environment and it's new for them. And I want to be like, like I'm looking around the room and I have to just kind of let it some things happen um, and allow them to take over that ownership, which isn't as natural as it has been in years before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those preliminary skills are not in play and you guys are doing some quick building of those skills. I love hearing about the ways in which you're allowing for these moments of concentration and like, wait, don't put on the cleanup music. You know, like stop time. We're concentrating and we're collaborating. (laughs) Um, right. I think that might be one of the strategies is just making space for the miracles to let the miracles grow a little bit more miracle by miracle across the classrooms. I'm going to um, read back a little list I made as you were all talking, and then you can remind me if I missed one so we can post this in the show notes for people. But we talked about repetition and the need to, to repeat a lot more this year as just a strategy for people working with three to six-year-olds. Um, Knutri, you talked about storytelling, connecting with outside resources, getting involved in some kind of service work that supports focusing on others after such a focus on me, 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 to how, how can we focus on caring for others? Um, Keanu, you talked about offering challenges um, to see if people can rise to the occasion. Um, and and giving special permission to give a friend a lesson. So they're starting to interface with each other about it. Um, and then so many of the things that all of you were talking about were about community building strategies, how to connect the interfibers um, between children who also don't know each other, right? Um, so it's not just who they're immediately gravitating to, but how you're um, creating those those connections. Um, and Nora, I thought of that when you were talking, but also the idea of getting some big work out there. Like when you said they haven't seen all the lead up, but it's still time to do the 45 layout. It's still time to like get some of those big awe-inspiring pieces of work out there. Um, we, I think we worry like, oh, they don't have the skills. They can't, they can't. But sometimes it's just the very bigness of it um, that is inspiring and moving them. 
Um, and then, as I said, allowing for moments of concentration and collaboration. And also, you both said, um, or at least maybe even all three of you said, the thing about stepping back and allowing, letting more to happen, um, and micromanaging less um, around, oh, we also talked about the conflicts, right? Allowing them to resolve their own conflicts. All right, the list is growing. What else did I miss? Captured a lot. You guys had a lot of great ideas. What can I say? <laughs> And I think too, like, I think it's really important. Um, parents are coming from a different place this year. And I feel like that's helpful to us as teachers. I feel like that same thing. Like I don't have someone asking me when their four-year-old's going to read this year. They're just happy that their children are in school. Their real concerns are really their social, emotional well-being more so than like, I have a lot of parents who say like, oh, it's a social, emotional, but really are they reading? You know, like, but that's not, I'm not hearing that this year and it's nice. Um, and I feel like um, coming into the school year, um, the other powers that I'm, you know, beholden to, my district has been preaching, give children time. They've been preaching that social emotional component. Our administration knows that we're at a different place this year than we are, we have been in previous years. And they're giving us that, that time. They're like, let them do that, the work that they need to do, let, whether it's practical life or sensorial, like don't feel like they need to be doing multiplication in November, you know, like let, let give them that time. Um, and so it's nice having that permission and it helps me give my, myself permission to do that too. Mm -hmm. So this has been a really interesting and juicy conversation. I'm wondering if there's anything else anyone wants to add before we close. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, it's just really important to make sure that we, we put ourselves in the position of the child and understand that they really want to know what's going on um and that you know right now it may require a little bit more you know than we have had to do in the past but it's going to be to their benefit and to ours as well mm -hmm. yeah yeah i gotta put that on the list that's a really good one i think that's like in the um first plane of development about true stories right where we're talking about true and real things that happen to us as connecting to them that, that, that's the part of my brain that's hitting is like, how are we having honest age appropriate conversations in a way that makes them feel like they're crafting reality? Yeah. Thank you for that, Kenitria. Anything else from you, Kiana? Um, just a reminder to give yourself grace through all of this. Give yourself grace. Um, and through doing that and showing the children that, um, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to make errors. And we'll take each day with a fresh set of eyes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I like that. Can you text me that like once a week? <laughs> sure, just send me your number. <laughs> I will. I just might. I have your email now. So I'll be like, can you just sh shout that one out for me? Um, but, you know, like sometimes like there's experiences, you know, that might be happening that we consider like adult experiences, but the pandemic is happening to all of us. It wasn't just the adults having the pandemic. They were having it too. So like that we, I've always felt like you should be honest to children. I've never liked when people like make up stories or little lies to explain something to a child. I'm always like, what are you doing? But like, this is real. And so we just have those conversations um, about like why, 
we're doing things the way they're doing or things that are changing or the rules that we have to have. Um, and then just, you know, like my class went remote this year for 10 days. We were remote um, and we had to talk. We talked about that. We knew why we went to remote and then we came back and we, we talked back. That's like one of our shared memories now. Like, remember when we were learning on the computer together, you know, like talking about those real things and like why, why those experiences are happening. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Nora. Thank you, Kiana. Thank you, Kanitria, for taking your time to connect with each other and connect with the wider world of three to six teachers that are out there doing Montessori in this re-entry time. Um, and I, I love the idea of offering them patience and grace with themselves and um, honesty with the children, just um, to know that you are doing it. Each and every day you are doing it and it makes a difference. It's mattering in the lives of three, four, and five-year-olds. So thank each of you for showing up every day and giving your big love to this work. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. So the highlight of my day today, or a like bright moment of my day, was I had a kindergarten student who was working on the map of North America, and he was poking out the large piece of the United States of America with a pushpin. And he's um, got a strong geographic mind. He knows a lot about maps and where things are, and he's well-versed where all the states are in the United States. And as he's poking around the, um, his piece, he had told me earlier, like, I'm getting to Florida, Miss Nora. And then he keeps poking, and I happen to be walking by his work, and he's poking around the edge, the bottom edge, the southern tip of Texas, and I hear him go, hee-haw. And I just had this cute little chuckle. It was just for him, his hee-haw, but I got to hear it. Part of me wanted to just say, giddy up. But um, he just knew where he was on his map, and he was Push pinning, working his little pokes around it, and um, that little hee-haw um, got me through um, the rest of the day. Um, even when things got a little hairy near the end of our school day, that little hee-haw. So that was such a, um, a fun and bright moment in my day. Our show is a project of Public Montessori in Action, elevating voices in the community to forward the mission. Our host is Elizabeth Slade. Our producer is Isaac Price Slade. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with others. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.